Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is a really busy room. This is great. Um, I hope the rest of your morning's been really well. I know it's Sunday, um, so I'm sure it was a lot of late nights last night, but I'm sure you all had fun yesterday. Um, so thank you for joining us. Um, this is the immersive entertainment um, panel. I have a really amazing people in front of me, so I'm really excited. Um, so let's get into it. I have to do a little bit of housekeeping first. I hope you don't mind. Um, so again, thank you for joining us for the BAFTA Guru Live Session on Immersive Entertainment. My name is Samantha. I am the co-founder of a company called Virtual Umbrella. We don't sell umbrellas, um, but we do work in the immersive sector. Um, these sessions are a part of the year-round program of learning activity. Uh, supporting careers starting across film, games, and TV. BAFTA, if you don't know, is a charitable organization with funds, games, programs, such as BAFTA Young Gaming Designers, which you should definitely look into you, look into it if you're in between the ages of 10 and 18 years old. They also offer scholarships to study at postgraduate level and yearly timetable regular public gaming events, which is amazing. Um, we have to say a special thank you to PlayFusion, who have kindly sponsored this panel. Uh, in support of Guru Live. And Mark next to me is from PlayFusion, so nice thank you to him for being here as well. And speaking of events, we the next big games event for BAFTA is on the 4th of October, uh, which is the annual games lecture. Uh, tickets are now available if you want them. Uh, just go to the website. And if you want to know anything more about BAFTA, um, I'm sure you've heard the spiel a million times this weekend, but please go to BAFTA.org. So that's all my lovely housekeeping. Uh, we will have a Q&A at the end of this, so if you've got any questions, feel free to keep them or log them. Shall we introduce this lovely panel? Mark, would you like to go first? I'm going I'm to go straight to you, just because you're right next to me I'm and wearing a fabulous pink shirt. Um, so if you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit, talk to us about PlayFusion, and then we've got a little clip to play after you stop talking. <laughs> okay, I'll try to keep it short. Uh, Mark Gerhard, I'm one of the co-founders of PlayFusion, uh, who's sponsoring this. Uh, we set up PlayFusion, so perhaps for 10, 15 years, our team and I have been making uh, virtual worlds, and uh, we had this fantasy almost, what if we could make the real world more fun, compelling, social, and vibrant than the virtual worlds we've been making? Uh, and so enough of us crazy people broke off, and we set up PlayFusion. So I'm only one of about 45 co-founders. Um, and uh, we've started building some cool tech to try and pioneer that, ranging from robotics, IoT stuff, to cool computer vision and audio recognition stuff. Uh, but also, we make games, because we love making games. Well, that's what we love to do. We love to entertain and delight people. Um, so we're currently working on two games, Lightseekers, and, uh, which we launched about a month ago, and Warhammer Champions that we launched. It's a blur, but I think it was three weeks ago. Um, anyway, digitally, it was last week, um, and that's going pretty well. Um, we're going to move on swiftly to Gary in the middle. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Yes. Hello. Uh, my name is Gary Napper. I'm a game director. I've been working uh, recently in worlds of VR and video games. I currently work at Supermassive. I've been in video games since 2001. I've worked at EA, Criterion, worked with Sony and Microsoft, uh, Creative Assembly. And last but not least, lovely Ben that's on the end. Hi, I'm Ben Jones, and I work at Rewind. We're an immersive content studio based out of St. Albans, and we work on sort of VR, AR, uh, mixed reality, um, so HoloLens uh, software, 
and we do a little bit of everything. So we've got a really nice range and three very different companies, but all kind of very different areas. So I think we can have a really good chat. So let's just jump right in and get, get rolling. So um, this is about immersive entertainment. So we should probably just briefly kind of uh, identify what that is. I guess you probably all realize that we say immersive about a million times a day, probably more than I make cups of tea in a day. Um, so it can get a little bit tedious, but we'll try not to mention it too many times. Maybe I'll call it something else. I'm glad, um, I'm glad you said that because it's a real personal bugbear of mine. <laughs> people are like, oh, I put the headset on. I'm so immersed. It's like you can put a bag on your head and I'm immersed in blackness. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't do anything to serve what the actual experiences. So. I like that. That should be like a tagline somewhere. I really enjoy that. Um, so we obviously, um, a lot of people, uh, the, the first thing they think about when they think about the word immersive is they think about VR, but we, are, we can talk about AR and MR as well. I'm not going to explain them because I hope you all know what that means. If you don't, please grab us afterwards. Um, but, you know, this immersive industry kind of covers a load of range of places right now. It's not just gaming. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's engineering, it's architecture, it's engineering. It's all sorts of things. So, and I think that's really, really positive. I mean, not a lot of things are talked about right now. Um, um, not a lot of things are talked about in the media. It's mainly just VR and gaming that is the highlight. Um, it's not, not a bad thing, uh, but I think that's a really positive start anyway. So for Actually, you guys... Can, can I just touch on it real it, quickly? Because I, I find it fascinating that the people working with VR often don't look outside their own industries yeah. and environments where I've been at like VR events for film and TV and industries and stuff. And I met somebody and they said, oh, you know, what are you working on? I was like, oh, I'm making VR and video games. And they came from VR and film. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you probably could use VR for video games, couldn't you? <laughs> wow, and they just, no. no one's thought about the uses outside of their, yeah. their field. So, yeah. And it's really important. I mean, I went to construction week in the summer, and pretty much every other stand had something that was a VR solution-based thing, and I was just like, oh, that's fantastic. But because it's not necessarily seen in the mainstream, we don't often talk about it. Or a lot of the time, it's under NDA, or it's whether you know we can't talk about it for another two years. I know Ben will probably say, yeah, he can't talk about anything right now. Two years' time, come back. <laughs> Check, watch this face. Watch, <laughs> watch this face, exactly. But the you know immersive entertainment is is an interesting one because it kind of, like I say, it kind of covers a lots of lots of sectors. But I want to know from you three kind of what you think immersive entertainment means to you individually. Like, does that mean, yes, you have to put a headset on or, you know, do you have to be at a certain event to experience something which is physically putting you into a new space? I would love to hear your kind of thoughts on that. Whoever wants to start, feel free. If not, I will talk all day. Well, I think you already broke cover. And yeah. My, I share the same sentiment, which is, awesome. I think, the term immersive is just unhelpful. Isn't it? If, if we're creating entertainment in whatever format and whatever platform, if it's not immersive, yeah. you failed. Uh, or you're not going to have a happy customer. You know, it's not yeah. going to be compelling. Um, and I think you know, games, and uh, irrespective of the origins, have been immersive from the very get-go. Um, and perhaps that's one of the things that's always had over film and TV, was that it was interactive. It wasn't just that it was um, entertaining or linear content, as I like to think of it, but it was interactive content. Um, and I think the VR, AR, MR space is providing new ways uh, to provide that, uh, a, a, a channel tools to, to entertain our customers or clients or I guess whatever industry you're in. Um, and I think that's the bit that's the most exciting. Uh, you know, it used to be when I grew up making games, every single new game was a, that's probably because I was also very young, every single game was a genre definer, everything was brand new, um, everything was incredibly innovative despite the limitations of the hardware. And today we have 
incredibly powerful computing power, uh, high fidelity devices, and there's been less and less, in my view, innovation in the space, or perhaps it speaks to the kind of professionalization of games or corporatization of games, that everything is now a sequel. Um, but what's interesting is, you, I think with AR, MR, VR, you start seeing breaking through people trying new things again in games, which is very, very exciting for me, and something we're trying to enable. In terms of trying new things in games, I'd point towards some of the stuff that Supermassive have been doing with um, PlayLink, is that correct? Um, using like um, a additional application on your phone to sort of enable a different style of play and perhaps like group play. Was it the in, the inpatient? No, that's um, the in, inpatient was the VR the one VR based one. on Until Dawn, but um, the PlayLink the series crime one. was yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you, you've just blown my mind. Hidden agenda. Hidden agenda. Hidden agenda. Thank you Got it. for describing the games my studio makes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it Ben's was like NDAs over here. Yeah, that, it came it came from the the idea that. Uh, a lot of people played Until Dawn as a group. Everyone would sit there, one person has a controller, and tap each other, no, no, make that choice, make that choice. So they wanted to capture that experience and build a game around it, and they worked with Sony to make that. I, I wasn't actually involved in the development of that, but it was being made while I was at the studio. But yeah, they kind of took that similar approach to The Impatient and making that a VR game where you could explore the worlds that you'd seen in uh, Until Dawn. And you know, where would they put you in the story to get the best view of that and things. So it's very much a technology you know, working together with the, with the aspect of the design they wanted to build. Yeah, I think a lot of this technology is giving new perspectives sometimes on pre-existing things. So, like, we worked with HBO to make a Silicon Valley VR experience where you wander around the house, uh, like, one-to-one -one scale. It's a full recreation of the set of the show, and it's all about giving people something that they might not have been able to have before. Exactly. I think I really enjoyed, actually, seeing... Because I think... Rewind do really well with bringing in different brands and seeing how you execute it. I mean, yeah, we're in a really, we're actually in a very exciting industry where we get to experiment. So I really enjoy watching what you do, what you guys do. Um, not because I know you personally, but like it's, it is really nice and it is actually really fresh, refreshing. I guess from you, you guys' perspective as well, it's nice to be able to experiment. Um, and that's, you probably don't get that in a lot of things. And yes, with games, we have, you know, a sort of a set kind of, you know, particular genres or storytelling and everything. But with this, it's kind of going, what, what's the next step? What can we do to really, really change the way that we involve ourselves with VR or AR? And I don't, you know, it's actually, it makes me want to get up every Monday and, you know, actually look, really, really look forward to the week or really, really look forward to my year because they go so quickly. Um, but I think why we were saying before about, you know, the word of immersive and thing, I feel like we need to start changing our... Um, the way that we talk about it, because I think it's just going to get lost and people will just assume it all links with everything. It's, also, it's, it's a very easy word for you know, non-technical people or you know, mass media to latch onto, because it just does describe it. I mean, but you see, you know, we, I'd use the word immersive to describe some of my favorite books, because you sit there and while you're reading, you're in that world. And I think a term that is valid that we do use is immersion breaking. And as soon as you understand immersion breaking, that almost gives you a better view into the way we would use the word. Because even if you're playing you know, a regular video game or a mobile game or reading a book or watching a film, something happens that doesn't quite click and it, it make you, makes you, takes you out of the experience. You go, wait, that's, that's not quite right. Or that character shouldn't act like that. Or wait, you know, why is there a radar dish in you know, 16th century England? It's like some stuff like that you know, yeah. pulls you out of the experience. And that's exactly what the immersion is about. It's about surrounding yourself and, you know, being in this fiction and being able to experience a world that, you know, you couldn't possibly experience in real life. Touching back on before where I said about events, do you think that the events that you guys go to where you maybe watch other people's content or you see it, do you think that's necessarily the best way to be viewing VR and AR right now? I, I, 
sorry to jump in on this one. Yeah, but, um, on the previous panel, um, Simon was talking about how uh, he thought that um, uh, game events were the like E3 and Gamescom and things like were the worst place to play video games because there's people shouting and you can't hear everything. I've had some really really good demos at shows, so I was kind of like, eh, they can be, but I've you know had some really good stuff. But obviously with with VR, when you go to an event, often they are in soundproof booths or either areas with sound noise cancelling headphones, and you do get to view that stuff and see it. But I think the the thing that always stands out for me, what I love about events like this and and bigger events, is meeting people with different opinions. And it sounds like a really strange thing, right? But m even more nowadays with social media and Twitter and you know Facebook and all your own social networks, people tend not to have discussions with people ha who have different opinions. They go, oh, I don't, don't like what she's saying, I don't know what he's saying, block, unfollow, and you end up with this bubble with everyone with the same opinions. You go to an event show and you show someone your game and they're looking at it and they just say things you would never even thought of. And you chat with people who have completely different perspectives to you. You're like, huh. I, that's, that's incredible, and you know, how, how would you view this? And you end up having these really valuable debates, and you know, even if you don't end up agreeing with them, knowing they exist and they have a valid opinion is really, really vital in you know, creating something that everyone's going to enjoy. It's really, yeah, that's really powerful. Sorry, I took that to no, a really weird nice. place really there. Good, though. But no, I think that's really good. And it's, it's the same if you were just looking at VR content. It's just take away, let's take away games, let's take away everything. We're just looking at VR content. There's not a lot of opportunities, I, I don't think personally, that a lot of the content gets tested over and over and over again and is seen in the outside world. So um, one thing that might be is like a theater. So if you go and see a VR theater experience, that's a completely different experience to going to a game show or going or sitting at home with your PSVR and going, well, I'm gonna download whatever I can. Um, I don't know what your, your guys' opinion is on like theater and VR because it's like, it's a very different experience where you still go and get your ticket. You have to wait and then you go into a particular room. It might be set up completely different. Um, actually similar with cinemas. Cinemas are now doing a lot of this thing as well. So I'd love to hear your opinions on that as well. I'm looking at you, Ben. Everyone's looking at you. <laughs> theater and VR, huh? Yeah. I've, I'm not sure I've actually been oh, to any VR theater shows. No, I, um, could you give me an example of one? Um, so. The, the last one I went to was um, actually a, it was like a promotion for like Breaking Force um, Control. Ah, right. So they actually okay. went to go and watch it in a, in a theatre setting. So instead of going and watching your show on stage, they had maybe 10, 15 chairs in the room. And you go get your ticket upstairs, you'd wait in the bar. And then you would, once you get called through, an actor that was actually in the VR experience would bring you into the room. He would introduce you to the actual experience and then be like, now put your headset on. It's very, very oh. sexy, very dark. Um, and okay. uh, um, so you put your headset on and you would all experience this together as, as 15 people. And then once the experience had finished, because it automatically started by itself, um, you take it off and the actor is there and he's, because uh, it's quite a dark piece, he is sort of, sort of cowering over and he's just like, get out, get out. And then you will walk out and then you will go upstairs and then you get to meet the people that made it. Right. And I thought that was a really different way of, you know, if you if you go to EGX or whatnot, it's like, all oh, right, okay, I'm waiting, queuing, oh, okay. And I always think the experience for me with VR and AR is that it starts when you arrive or it starts when you get into the room. And I think that's quite a key thing. It's very different if you're at home and you've got a Gear VR or you've got a PlayStation VR, but I do think that's quite an um, important area. But if you think, you know, think about BAFTA, you've got TV and, uh, TV and film as well. Do you think that that might start sort of bleeding into into those areas? I think well? there's something to be said 
said for like set dressing or window dressing around an experience because that goes to the old um, the old Walt Disney Disneyland ideal of making the queue the part of the ride itself. Like if you're in the if you're waiting for the experience to start and you're just being taken out of what you're going to be shown, then there's then you're just going to basically flip a switch and be in it. So yeah, I think so. I need to add to that because you're exactly spot on <laughs> with that. There was uh, one of the most incredible experiences I had entertainment wise. Uh, is I put in entertainment wife because I had two kids and I get killed for not saying my children. But uh, um, uh, at, at Disney, there's this place called Epcot and it's all about education and stuff like that. And there's a ride there called Mission Space. Absolutely incredible. So you walk in and it's all you know space dressing everywhere. It looks like the set of 2001. But I just I suddenly realized what was happening as I was part of it because you join this queue and they split you into teams of four and you stand on a spot with a number. So you're in this queue, and normally, you know, Thought Park, you're there for 45 minutes waiting to get on a two-minute ride. So you're standing in this line, you look down, you see a number one, and this voice goes, number one, you are the engineer, and it's your job to fire the engines, and you're like, oh, cool, okay, right, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And you've got another 20 minutes to go, but you're like, right, okay, you remember to deploy those chutes, okay, and I'm going to fire this. You have one job. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> and already you're in character remembering to do this thing, and then you get on this ride, and... Uh, it's, it's, it sends you up into space. It's absolutely incredible. And they use centrifugal forces so that when you take off, you feel like it. And then they cut the thrust and your arms raise up. And I was close to tears, man. It was amazing. <laughs> but, you know, you put, put that with a VR and that kind of whole experience. I mean, like, it's I mean, like the void. Like the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Like that's a question I've got for you about this theater experience. When you looked around, did you see other people? Yeah. So you saw the other cool. people watching so, it with you? It was, it was early stage of development, but mm. now you can see the characters around the room. So you literally see heads moving. That's amazing. So that is yeah. quite freaky in itself. That's the, also, that's using, using that's, them for their, for yeah. their use. Because you know, I've got friends working in VR who've found these incredible things that if you give someone you know, just a headset and gloves, even if you don't have articulation in the hands and you've just got you know, big foam hands, you can tell who your friends are based on how they move. And just Head's head right. position and hands. Not even with voice or you know, colors or helmets. You just have... You know, four cubes with arms, and you're like, you know, that, that's James, and that's Chuck over there, and there's Tom. And it's just like, you can obviously tell who these people are, and I think playing on that and making that part of the experience would really, really give you some interesting interactivity. I really enjoyed The Void when I went up there. No, The Void's I was, really fun. I, I wouldn't pay £35 for it every time. Because I think that's a bit too much money. Well, 20 minutes for £35. Which... It's not, that's the thing. I think yeah. if it was longer, mm. um, I think I'd be a bit more like, yeah, let's do it. You queue for longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Full true. Actually. Damn, just make it really big. Put a number um, on the floor. Tell you the caption. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've got like some sort of business idea coming. Right? <laughs> but no, but like, did you all did you all go down to the void? Did you see it? Did you? Yeah. Other thing, like it's it's that's definitely something where I feel like they're bringing in the entertainment value here and then trying to push it up a level. Um, but again, that, that's something that's not maybe um, sustainable for a very long time, maybe it's something, obviously, because it's not... I think if you're only able to get four people through it at once and it takes a while to get people in and prepared and ready, then there need to be different methods of actually getting people through the ride or at least, like, a bigger installation that allows for more people at once. But then that requires some far more serious networking and latency could come into that. As cool as it is to see you and your three friends, like, looking around and, like, oh, cool, we're all stormtroopers. <laughs> Except for one of your headsets is slightly broken, so I was about half the height of everybody for the first couple of minutes of the experience. I was awful through it. I kept putting the headset up so I could see the environment around me. I was like, I just want to see what it looks like. And they were like, you need to put your headset down. You're cool. ruining it. And the, I was like, I don't care. The, the, coolest moment, <laughs> the coolest moment I had in the void was when there's like a shootout section, and I looked, and I, there was like a railing. 
and I realized that I could duck down and put my rifle on the lower railing so that we had like some sort of like positional thing going on. Except for I, what I didn't realize was that when I ducked down, my stormtrooper shrank in, because they didn't have a kneeling thing because it's all based on the height of the headset. And so it was just three regular sized stormtroopers and a small stormtrooper <laughs> with a regular sized gun. <laughs> it looked like something out of space balls. I wish I'd gone with you. <laughs> Please tell me someone said you're a little shorter to be a stormtrooper. Come on. I wish. You have I awful wish. friends. We're <laughs> all caught up in the moment. I think, I think that, I mean, you know, you're saying it seems like a limited thing because of, you know, how quickly technology moves and things like that. I think the challenge for people making live installations and using the technology to, you know, bring these, you know, themes of entertainment to you is they have to make something that you can't get at home. Exactly. You see a lot of VR centers where people you know, put in you know, Steam headsets and charge five pound for 20 minutes to go in and give it a go. And those are great kind of gateways to try it out and experience some things. But unless they are doing interesting and new innovative things that you can't do, then you know, I think they are fairly time limited. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the design behind some of these things. Um, I can't remember if it's The Void or another company, but they have this um, way of making you walk down what they call the infinite corridor. So you put the headset on and you walk, and you think you're walking straight, but what actually they're doing from a clever perspective of bending lenses, they have a circular corridor, and even if you mm. put your hand on the wall, you would swear that you are walking straight, and actually you're walking just a slight amount of degrees to the right. And they build these level maps based on a circle with a square room in the middle and a door leading out from each exit to the ring. And then they transpose that and map it out to make these incredible framings of all these worlds. So you feel like you've traveled you know, all through these structures and everything. It turns out they've just been looping you around like a rat in a maze and get you straight yeah. back into the original room. I think it's incredible. It's, it's, you look at those layouts from above and it's honestly astounding just how little there is, except for fans and heat jets and things like that. I mean, there's something to be said for having the players go in an elevator and then having them go back up the exact route they've been. But everybody's like, oh, cool, I'm in a new place. I watched a talk on this from the guys behind. I think it's The Void. I'm, I'm going to kick myself if I got it wrong. And they open up the talk, and the guy's like, yeah, you know, I'm a nuclear physicist, and you know, I kind of got bored with what I was doing. I was like, oh, man. Like, I don't stand a chance. I just played a bunch of video games when I was 12. Like, <laughs> but yeah, the minds behind this are so, so smart with the way they're doing this stuff. It just blows me away. Do you think that there's, so with all these kind of, you know, if we look at the entertainment side of it and we go to the void and that's kind of like, for a lot of people, is there mainly their only way in to trying out, especially with the kit, um, it being, it is getting better in terms of price, but obviously this is a nice way of going, going, do you know what, I want to go do that with four friends and I really enjoy it and it's really good, really good fun. But in terms of you guys making content that you want people to experience at home, what do you think, is there a big level there? Do you feel like, you know, you, you can learn from both sides, or do you feel like, no, in five years' time, people will all have a headset at home and they will be downloading my content? Uh, I don't. Or, or I, think, I think VR's still too early mm -hmm. uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, I don't think content's the problem. I think uh, there's not enough devices. They're too expensive. I think the, uh, they're not yet untethered. I think there's all sorts of reasons or, or things that need to happen before... Everyone goes, oh, this is great. I just want to do this, rather than us who make games, who kind of go like, oh, I love this, I tried this, I played this. Uh, but that's almost like part of an active education uh, as opposed to um, what I could see my kids doing or, or friends who don't make games. Um, I think the thing that's, that's ignored is uh, today, uh, hot tip for the industry, you know, there's 2.8 billion 
mobile phones out there. There's 2.8 billion devices that are already in your hands or your children's hands that can provide already an elevated experience uh, or an enhanced experience over the, I don't know, 2D tap and swipe that they're probably consuming on those devices, uh, which gets you very close to what these guys are doing. And so I think, I, ultimately, I think for AR, for example, I th uh, it's probably not your phone. I think it's going to be some sort of wearables and stuff five years from now, but um, at which point there's probably some sort of harmonization between AR and VR, and you just this headset does all sorts of cool things um, as opposed to kind of one format. But uh, today, or short term, next five years, I would say it's probably going to be, be people's phones uh, that these kind of uh, leading edge experiences are delivered on in a mass market way, uh, where you can reach, hopefully, billions of people, uh, which is really good for you, your studio. And uh, even if you're not worried about the business side of it, it's just more people to entertain. Uh, you know, the, it used to be like TV and film, like the, the distribution mechanism was your, your television, or you would go to the theater. Um, but everyone already has that in their pocket now. They have a, and uh, I think even from my generation, you're seeing taste change from I would sit in front of a computer, some special water-cooled thing that I built with great pride, um, and turn the lights off with the widest screen I could, and I would go all in, and I was just like looking for that all week, Friday night. This is gonna, and my eyes would be bleeding the next morning, but I keep going, I keep going, and you know that was the dream, that was the dream of immersion, if you would, or, or ultra immersion, um, and now I just don't have time for it between work, family, etc., uh, etc. Et um, so even the content I consume is in little bites now. It's five minutes, ten minutes. I still want amazing experiences. I'm not prepared to expect any except anything less, it's still going to be awesome. But when it suits me, how it suits me, and, and that's, that's what's changing, so and, and that's, that's, that's what's changed, we just have to accept it's changed. Um, and that, how do you cater for that? And I think I'd, I'd uh, steal a line from one of my favorite game design heroes, a guy called Jesse Shell. He was talking years, about, years ago about different technology, and he compared it to surround sound. I was like, modern day VR for me is like surround sound and his words, in the uh, rich geeks will have it, and everybody else goes to their houses. It's, 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 you know, I have so many nights where people come around my house and you know, play PlayStation VR or you know, Oculus and things like that, and people are checking stuff out, but I think the most accessible way of experiencing VR at the moment is via phones. You know, you've, got, you've got Google and you've got you know, Oculus Gear VR. You snap a phone in it and show someone. You know, we had a, a big family party a few years ago where I took one of these along, and everyone was amazed about being on a roller coaster and you know laughing at Nan falling off the chair when she tries to lean and go around the corner. And you know, they all think it's absolutely incredible. They love that stuff, but it's not to the point where any of them are experiencing something. They go, yes, that's what I want to purchase. Like I'm, a, I need to experience this in my house, so this is the thing I'll do. And I have had that with PlayStation VR. I've had experiences I've shown people where you know it's been like super hot or um, uh, Thumper VR, and people have taken. In fact, recently with Wipeout VR as well, I've had some friends who are huge, huge Wipeout VR fans. Sorry, original Wipeout fans. I've played it in, in VR and have just it's blown their mind. And then they've taken the headset off and tried to play it like regular 3D you know, flat screen game, and then have gone, this just isn't the same. And as soon as you get to that playing the last gen and it not being quite right, there's something there. And while there are experiences out there at the moment, there's not enough to be like, yes, this is the thing I want. You know, If you buy PlayStation VR, you have an incredible amount of awesome games to play. And like, I don't regret my purchase, and I don't know anyone who, who's got one who has. But you still want that thing that you can send to someone and go, yeah, this, is, this is the next Minecraft, this is the next Fortnite. You, know? you have to have a headset to play it, and that's what it needs to fully take off, I think.
And you don't want it to be difficult to find content. Like that's what's great about the PSVR is that there is a load on there right now. And like I say, it's a pretty much more of a plug and play than say an Oculus or HTC. Not I do love them, but you know, just out of like general, it's a lot easier. I think um, with regards to plug and play, you've got things like the Oculus Go, which is the closest we've got to um, VR actually being like easily accessible and at a reasonably affordable price point as well. And then you also have the Santa Cruz headset, which we're expecting to hear more about uh, this month at Connect, I believe. Um, like that's already rumored for like a Q1 of next year sort of big launch. And I think that's going to be the best, like most accessible VR moment yet for the industry because it's the most natural input method possible. It's you flailing around and actually being able to move about a space because it has all the tracking built into it. Without the need for a PC, it's completely untethered. And like visual fidelity should be, you know, slightly better than Go, but not quite the level of a full power PC. So I think that's going to be the the biggest moment for the industry yet, where people can actually go into a space and feel like they can actually move around a little bit. Do you guys find that? Because obviously there is a there's a variety of headsets that people can have in their home, and you know it's not like it's just on one device. Do you find that? sort of in-house, is that an issue, or is that something that you kind of go, oh, we prefer this, or, you know, or we could put it across different platforms, because it depends if you're doing VR or AR as well, but is there one, I guess, a lot of all your, well, is it all your content that's on PSVR, it's super massive, yeah, so is that, was that more of like a choice thing? So far. So far, oh, so far. I, I love it. I don't know what that means, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's a, it's a big thing. Rumours confirmed. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> Heard it here. Um, but obviously, it's, you know, distribution, everything's quite a big issue. So it'd be interesting to find out what you guys think about that. I mean, from Rewind's perspective, you are brand, more brands. And yeah, and we're corporate. very platform agnostic in that approach. We will tailor the content to the platform that suits it best. And if afterwards we can think of a way to bring it to a second platform, that is the way that we'll do it. So for Hack Hostel, it was developed um, Vive first, Vive port launch exclusive, and then we um, put it onto Oculus afterwards. I think for me, you, wanna, you always want to play to the strength of the platform you're developing for. So if you're making something for Vive, for example, you'd want to use the fact that it is room scale. You have got that, you know, 15 foot square to walk around and wave your arms in. And again, you know, with PlayStation VR, you know, you can relax on a seat or if you want to just use the controller. Each of them come with their own issues as well because you need to figure out ways of supporting multiple controllers and changing your game in a way that might not suit one of the other formats. So I think, I think it's like anything is like, tailor your idea to your platform and focus on the one. And if it does work with other ways or you can easily get there, then look at other stuff as well. Then I think if, you're, if you want, like a lot of VR has to launch across multiple platforms in order to be profitable if you're self-funding. Um, but then in that case, you have to think about that from the very, very start. So I think um, Arcus Path mm -hmm. from Dream Reality does a fantastic job of that because its entire input method from what I've seen is you move around and you look in the headset and that dictates the direction the character moves in. And that it naturally works across every virtual reality input device. So you have to really think about that from the, from the get-go when designing. Um, before we jump into some questions from the audience, we have talked about a lot of challenges, but is there anything that maybe from the past year that has really sort of stuck in your mind about either creating or distribution or just immersive entertainment as a, as a thing? I'm not going to say it again, I swear. Um, but is there anything that really sort of points out or, you know, actually what you were saying about being self-funded, you know, actually being able to have money behind you to create this content is a really big conversation right now. So we could briefly talk about that. If you know anything, I, I might know a bit more. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'll hijack this and talk about game design if I can. <laughs> Please, go for it. The, the, the hardest thing for me, right, and this is, this is really something I've struggled with, is I'm so used to, you know, being in the games and, and designing something or iterating on something and handing it to someone and go, play that, it's great. They pick it up and they go, oh, this is amazing. Well, good job, Gary. You're so cool and smart and clever and dressed. Anyway. Um, and of course you are. <laughs> I, I do the same in VR, put on a headset, and I'm like, right, oh, this feels incredible. It's absolutely amazing. Check this out. Put it on someone else's head, and they're like, oh, no, no, that's terrible. What the hell are you thinking? That's the, the worst experience I've played. I'm like, it's, it just shocks me how personal VR is to individuals, and it's figuring out for your target audience what they're expecting, what sort of games they play, what sort of levels of comfort they're used to, and things like that. But even then, you can get it wrong. And one of the, one of the things I, I really wanted to mention today was uh, Supermassive had a game called uh, Tumble VR, which is a really simple game where it's like based on physics objects, where you're balancing blocks and stacking them and solving puzzles, and it's really, really good fun. And I had a friend of mine play it, who was a big VR player and loves this stuff, puts on the headset and just freaks out and starts kicking and tears off the headset and he goes, oh, 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 and I was like, well, what's, what's the problem, what's the problem? He said, there was no chair below me. I, wasn't, I, I could have fallen, there was nothing below me. I, I was, and, and you're just in this floating 3D environment with these glowy hands, but because there was a direct you know, death drop below him, he f totally freaked out and he's the only person I've seen to do that. So even when you think you got it right, there's always someone who's gonna go, ah. <laughs> How much, how much time do you spend in, in a VR headset? Do you feel like you're a little bit desensitized to a lot of things? Me, like definitely. Me? Yeah. But I've never, I was one of the very fortunate people who, as soon as they put in a headset, just felt straight at home. I mean, I used to play a lot of games like Descent back in the day, where it's full-on 3D environments in, in, you know, on the PC, and you couldn't figure out where up was or where down was. And I don't know if that's connected, disconnected my inner balance or what. But... In VR, nothing's ever made me feel anywhere near kind of uncomfortable or emotionally or anything like that. So it's, so for me, I think it's 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 both a blessing and a curse because I can play anything and go, yeah, that feels great. But at the same time, I can't tell you what I can roughly tell what experiences are more comfort and you know are going to require a little more guidance. But I can't put on something and tell you whether it will or won't make you feel you know queasy or motion sick. Yeah, I'm very much the office guinea pig for VR experiences, where it's very hard to make me motion sick. So they know if something makes me feel queasy, then it's gone wrong. Done something very wrong. But um, you talked about Wipeout VR earlier, and I think that game uh, by far does like some of the best jobs I've seen with catering to every like variation of like how people can get ill. Like you can adjust like which part of the cockpit rotates if at all. Um, you can adjust like so many different little details, and it's yeah, absolutely fantastic in terms of really tailoring it so that you feel comfortable in the headset. I think that's the best way to go currently. And it can be the tiniest thing. Like I, when I first tried the place at the PSVR, it was the one headset I couldn't put on because it used to, well, it was before it came out, but it was the, I was testing uh, the assembly for actually for End Dreams and it used to make my eyes go cross-eyed for some weird reason. And between the menu screen and going into VR, that was the one thing that would actually make me feel oh my god, no thank you, and would just take it off. Every, every other headset, absolutely fine. But it was that one, so even when I try it now, I'm a little bit like, mm, mm, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll look at it. But again, like things like that, if you're a member of 
you know, the public and you try something that makes you feel instantly rubbish, you're going to go, do you know what, it's not for me. And it might not, it might be the simplest thing. You might have put the headset on them wrong or, you know, it's, it's the minute things. And that actually is quite damaging. Um, so we have a huge responsibility, as you can imagine. I've gotten very good at introducing people gradually to different VR experiences and just starting off with stuff where you don't move and you just look around an environment and gradually get up to interaction and seeing your hands and starting with a bit of teleportation movement and then you know ramping it right up at the end. But I had one instance where it just went completely wrong where I put on uh, PlayStation Worlds yeah. uh, and it's an incredible thing. It's got the shark dive yeah. and you're floating down in the shark thing and you see it's really, really nice experience. You don't have to do anything. You just you know let it all happen around you. And uh, the guy I had playing it really had a good time and he went back to the lobby. They had these floating balls on the menu screen and if you put your controller next to them, they, they interact with them so you can put it in water. And they had this spinning uh, circular, sorry, spinning spherical tarmac ball that was supposed to illustrate the speed of this game. And he's hitting it and it's bouncing away and coming back. And he's like, this is incredible. And he smacked it and it went, <laughs> came all the way back and he dived off the chair so it would miss him. And he ended up flat on the floor in my front room and I was like, that was the menu. Like, how could that? Have, how could that have gone so wrong? Like, oh. oh my gosh, really? um, so, I would love to touch quickly on AR. So, obviously, what are you seeing? Any major challenges for AR? It's, it's very different in respect to obviously we're kind of using it. I mean, for some of the games I've played are really, really good, and I really enjoy them. But are you seeing anything that's maybe coming up quite a lot? Yeah, I think there's a lot of. Ch I mean, my view the first and biggest challenge in AR is probably lack of innovation. I think people are still doing the same thing that was magical five, ten years ago. Uh, look, there's a thing in 3D over there. There's a very real danger of augmented reality still being eye of judgment for the PlayStation 3, where um, <laughs> you use the PlayStation eye, you put a card down, and all of a sudden a monster's on the screen. Yeah, yeah, so, so I mean, in the office we call that a substitution for thinking, but I think there's been a lot of that um, and, and people think that that is enough, just doing this, oh, look, now it's AR. You know, that, that thing that maybe uh, we're very impressed or proud of, that 3D model we've just created, and it's now an AR job done. We've done AR as that's, much as we've that's done That's exactly VR. the same in VR. Too many people Indeed. open up the Unreal Engine, create a first-person shooter, stick a VR camera in it, and go, yeah, there we go, we're done. It's like, nah. So, yeah, so, so I think that's the first and biggest risk, is that everything is same-ish um, and... If it's even magical, it's only uh, magical for a few minutes, and then it becomes a gimmick. And I think people haven't yet actually created real gameplay on that. Mm -hmm. I, I always say, I, uh, is this being recorded? Uh, I don't want to create any offense, but I always say like the best, um, so, so a Pokemon Go was brilliant. Mm. It, it, it made, it brought AR out of uh, kind of labs and niche type experiences into something that was mass market. At the same time, as, as, as a team is actually making an AR platform, it makes you want to cry because you go, that's not good AR. That's not AR, really. Well, it's not delivering on the promise of AR. Um, so you kind of got the schadenfreude there. Um, for us, the rub has been, how do we create actually you know, real legitimate AR experiences that aren't gimmicks, that uh, are effectively enhancing reality um, and continue to do so? Uh, and I think there's a place and a time for that. Uh, you know, as in not everything, not every game and every mechanic we've created before translates. Um, and so we've spent probably the last three and a half years not just innovating technically uh, to push, to be able to push an experience beyond what ARKit or ARCore can deliver um, on mobile. But also now with all this extra power, what is compelling? Like, why would someone else give a shit? 
I mean, not we do, but want you to. Um, and so a lot of that is just expensive because you just do it and you test it. You do it and you test it. And it's, it almost feels like this is QA black box all over again, despite you know, where we feel uh, we think this is exciting. Well, this is, this is definitely, we, we've got it. This is how people will use it. Only to discover that's not the case. Um, or for us saying, actually, people will only use this when they can use it in a multiplayer way, in a multiplayer context. Or they can literally do complete immersion, real-time real retexture this entire room and people on the fly. Um, so we convinced ourselves on that. So we said, well, shit, we've got to build that. Um, so we did for a year. And then said, cool, we've done it. Now what? Um, and, and so in a way, it's, it, a lot of this feels, uh, you know, when you're cutting edge of innovation, you're kind of probing in the dark on some, some of these things with the belief that you'll ultimately get there. Um, but it's not, and perhaps, again, like VR's analogous, it's not formulaic. There's no, if you just do this, 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 on this device, this way, success. It's, it's game design, which is fiendish anyway, with other people like what we've created. And now you've got this kind of extra dimension, or extra axis of challenges in terms of a new format you're delivering the content in, new experiences that haven't yet been, um, that I mean, you're literally innovating. Like this time it makes you sick, next time it doesn't, or someone else does. You know, there isn't a baseline for that. So um, I think that's a very long way. So yeah, we're still working through some of those <laughs> challenges, but trying to solve them for you guys. Yeah, exactly. I think what frustrates me is when people have done the tech and they've done everything and it was all right, but just not for that time. Like you're talking about Pokemon Go, that the exact same game was by the exact same publisher a year later, previous, and because it didn't have Pokemon slapped on it, it didn't succeed. Correct. And uh, Rocket League was a game, you know, f was it? Supersonic acrobatic rocket powered battle. Cars. There you go. <laughs> I don't know why that game didn't sell. Yeah, they might have <laughs> yeah. needed to workshop the title a little bit for round two. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, essentially the same game and didn't take off. So sometimes it's just your moment and it, uh, you know, it hits it. I think the thing that I really wanted to com convey was. So many people go to VR and think, I need to make something that feels like real life. Mm -hmm. And they try and create a real world environment with realistic characters and everything. Yet some of the best, most immersive experience <laughs> I've had in VR have been the more surreal side of things. The stuff where you don't know what's going on and it's something you could never experience in real life. And you know, you're floating through strange environments and you know, seeing all this weird stuff that's just come from someone's imagination. That stuff is just so rich and so you know, ready to just be harnessed in, in a way in VR that I've never seen anywhere else. It's just, if, if we can get to that stage, then we'll be in a really good state. I mean, just to echo that, the contradiction, and not just VR, but AR, is the more fantastic, the less it's real, the more fantastical, the more believable, the cognitively, the more believable it is. Yeah. And you, you accept it and you immerse yourself in it. Um, I'm not trying to play on that word, though. I'm looking for another one. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it, again, it's a, it, I remember in the early days of games, it's almost like the arms race in games is graphic fidelity, right? And it was almost like this false proof of, look, we doubled the colors, now it's two, five, six colors, um, of, of four to four X, and we sold more units the next year on this racing game. And, and so it all became about you know, texture and frame rate. And you know, I remember games in four, two colors, <laughs> and then four. Um, that Actually, I remember games before we had graphics, right? Text-based muds and stuff, where you kind of walked into a room and. Uh, to, to type what you were looking for, um, but you still immersed yourself in it. You, you, you were still imagining or fantasizing about this experience, and you participated in it for hours on end. It wasn't about just resolution, colors, graphic frame rate. And I think all too often that's seen as, uh, again, uh, uh, what's misunderstood that if we just throw 
the graphics budget at it, if we throw art at it, the closer we can get to realism, uh, the more it will sell ultimately. And I think at the end of the day, I put on a headset or I play on my phone on PC because I want to be entertained. I just want to have fun, whether it's escapist or competitive, or it doesn't matter. Um, and I think that's, that, that's a really key point. Do you want to add something, Ben? No, that's okay. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to open up to some questions now. Oh, lots of hands. Do you want... Oh, there, there is a microphone coming to you. I'm going to start at the front. Thank you. Hi, guys. Really, really interesting stuff. Um, I come from an immersive theatre background. And... Pull yeah, up a so, chair, man. Come on. <laughs> so the crossover is really fascinating for me, but I want to know how long you think it'd be, be before it's sustainable, because I have a big bugbear with the word immersive. Because for me, people create immersive theatre and that's me being sat close to it. In actual fact, I'm talking about cause and effect. And there being a complete world where you could change anything, you can do anything, but at the end of the day, you are taken care of by the performers who are involved with that. How far off do you think you are from being able to support or do something like that in VR? I mean, we're, we're there now. You just have to have... I mean, if you... Disney are doing it already. If you, go, if you go to a Disney park, everything around the ride and everything has been themed towards that. There's players there. I mean, years ago they did a similar thing. Uh, does anyone remember Alien War in London? It was, this, it was this installation that was set in the Aliens universe, and you can go in, and there was people with you who are actors who you didn't know, and they'd get grabbed by aliens and pulled out, and everyone would get freaked out, and that's the kind of immersive theatre where they were you know, part of the ride kind of thing. And if you've got that level of interactivity and thought and planning behind it, as well as a game studio or you know, an art studio who can produce assets and a, a narrative that's strong enough to be supported by everything, then you can absolutely do that now. I think, yeah, if you, if you get on that, you'll make a lot of money, so go do it right now. <laughs> can I get free tickets? <laughs> and thank you for saying that about immersive theatre because it's so amazing how that label has gone from interesting punch drunk things where you're actually in a space wandering around and interacting with an actor to you're in a room and there's people around you but you're just stationary the entire time uh, for me I, uh, someone's going to make this game but, it, but I think probably 2020 is kind of where I see the crossover of where we are today and you know the, the frontiers you guys are pushing uh, with stuff like Magic Leap or HoloLens and other things becoming more affordable. I think uh, I think that juxtaposition between fantasy and reality, the, the acceptance and the grounding of I see this, but then it's superimposed or augmented, uh, enhanced with other stimuli, whether you've rendered it You've, you've created it or surprised me with it, I think is going to blow people's minds. Um, but I think there's almost something stopping, you know, by putting on a complete headset that, that removes reality or my grounding, I think there's, there's, there's other things that go on, I don't understand the neuroscience behind it, but I think there's other things that go on cognitively that make me either more discerning about what I'm experiencing or just rejecting it to a certain point, um, that, that is holding us back from really, really, as I say, having our minds blown. Um, but I, I do think ultimately the, you know, the, the see-through wearable or whatever that, that then delivers your type of content uh, but is still ultimately physically based or I, I can still get uh, input stimuli from the real world I, I think is the answer and I don't think we're very far away. I, I, I do think it's like you know, 2020, uh, 2020 vision or whatever uh, uh, is probably when this is going to happen. I mean, it, it's happening now, but it's, again, there's not the content for it. In our world, there's never been a successful platform 
without uh, the anchor content to really showcase it. And it didn't matter whether that was Steam and Xbox or it's now happening with VR. Um, so I think the, the, the silicon's coming, but I don't think the content's there yet. We did something a little bit like that uh, this year with the Welsh National Opera um, for their, um, their new one, I think, called Rhonda Rips It Up, which is about um, Lady Rhonda, a parent of the Welsh suffragette movement, mm -hmm. where there's Sessions House in Usk, which is, I believe, where her trial took place. And we, they did an immersive experience in Sessions House with live actors, uh, and we created an AR experience that paired with it so that the woman playing Rhonda could appear in the space and perform an aria through augmented reality. Wow. Um, but the thing about that was you have tracking markers in the environment. Um, so we disguised the tracking markers as parts of the set so that the experience would track Rhonda as she moved around the courtroom properly and would sync up to the, or like all of the lighting and the sound equipment in the space as well. So she interacted with the actors. But it's like you say, at the end of it, you're still looking at it through a very narrow window. Well, that, in that case, it was your phone. It was, a, it was an iPad Pro, I believe, so quite a big window, but a window that's quite a bit annoying to hold for any more than five minutes. So, so, so I think you're exactly there, and I think when, rather than me moving my device around to be yeah. contained, I literally just, it's just yeah. my glasses yeah. it's, and I it's look once, around. It's once the technology shrinks enough, like having yeah. worn like a magic leap, like that feels mm. comfortable, it feels good. You're still clipping a little computer to your belt in order to use it, but the actual experience feels more interesting. Yeah, yeah so definitely in that, there's, there's things on the horizon. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a direction of travel that indicates that's where we're going to be, yeah, whether it's in 18 months, who knows. Yeah, but it's, it's, just, it's definitely where it's going. It's just a case of the technology catching up to the vision. Well, interesting is so the technology we had built doesn't require markers, for ah, example. Nice. That, that wasn't intended. So anyway, <laughs> we genuinely haven't discussed, we haven't socialized this. I'm trying to move back a bit. <laughs> I'll pay you later. Oh, thank you so much for your question. Um, anyone else? Lovely. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I come from a film background, and um, what you're all just discussing, I'd, I'd be really interested to find out a bit more about how you feel the, the film side of things is what's the direction of travel there, both with exhibition and, I guess, from my point of view, production. I did something recently, I would just like to quickly mention, then I'll let you jump in. Um, there was a piece that was called Unrest that came out um, maybe last year or this year, which was about Emmy, which was a documentary. Um, it's now available on Netflix, but it was showing around London cinemas. Um, the lady that made the film, she also did a VR version of it, um, which she also had it basically displayed downstairs in the cinema of every cinema that was screening it. So the idea was that you could go to the cinema, see the film, but then actually come down and have a added-on experience. So it, because it was about ME, you'd see it from two perspectives. So from the film, it was, I'm going to document my life for the camera. With the VR experience, you had to physically lie down in a bed, put your headset on, and you were in the bed and you were hearing her talk. So she was like in your mind. Um, we did, I think it was about 18 months or something that we did the tour with, but it was a really interesting way of looking at how she wanted uh, people to experience her film, but then also have something additional, um, which I thought was an interesting play. But then obviously the, the whole looking at film is completely different as well. It's a, a brand new world really for that side. So the premium, the premium content, the additional experience as an auxiliary is, is the thing or what about the actual thing itself? This is what I'm seeing a lot, is a lot of film studios and film creators 
see VR as an opportunity to create something to, as a vehicle to sell the main thing. Then they don't often integrate it with the main event itself. It's not part of the film. There's a few, there's a few restrictions there, and it's the same way when you see you see video game makers try and go make films. It's like they don't know everything. They don't know the nuances. They don't have the experience. They don't quite hit the same level of quality. And quite often you see that going the other way, where filmmakers dab dabble their hands in games. They don't quite get it, and they're not quite there. So we're hitting a generation now where people are growing up with VR, and you know they're learning it as they as they go through life. And at one point there's going to be someone who comes along and goes, you know what? I know both of these worlds. I know the technology, and I'm going to create the thing that is marries these two things together and succeeds, really. I think the, the, the difficult thing you have currently with modern headsets I think, is the fact it is a headset. You are strapping it to yourself, and there's, there's comfort issues. There's natural time amount of you can play for you know, maybe 20, 25 minutes before you start adjusting it or getting a bit hot or things like that. So there's all these limiting factors. And that's, a, that's another huge thing for game design as well, is that if you're designing a game like you know, a World of Warcraft or you know, a Mario Kart or something like that, you know, gamers used to sitting there, you know, pad in hand or hands on keyboard for days on end with minimal, you know, toilet breaks and showers if they have to, kind of thing. You know, food on the side, and people are used to playing games like that. You know, you watch a film, you know roughly how long you're going to be in there for. As soon as you put arm movement and waving into a video game, you've you've limited your playtime experience because years and years ago I was working on a Harry Potter team and they had this uh, eye toy experience where you could wave your arm to clean the glass in Hogwarts. It was like, hey, great. I lost an entire team of testers over two weeks because our job was to play the game all day. And there's testers going, I can't do this anymore. And it's that whole thing of like, hold your arm out, you know, it's fine, but hold it there for two minutes. You're like, ah, you really feel a strain. So you're inventing a game about fishing or driving or anything. You have to consider your your design restraints on physical movement around that. And that's, that's just one of the things that comes into play when you're taking a film experience into VR that you know may not be there originally. So I've lost where I'm going with this. I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if you think about... Um, so a lot of people, when they start looking at... Um, the crossover with VR and film is they think about 360 filming. So they go, okay, so I'm going to grab a 360 camera and I'm going to have to give it a go and make a 20-minute film. We'll call it a film. Um, so those are the main... That's kind of more of a, a general kind of looking at how we go into that process. There's quite a few sort of drama pieces which are available, surround vision. There's some really good female, ones of those as well. Call, yeah, yeah, they call it the female planet. Um, the main issues with that is then changing the way that you look at the narrative. So yes, you could have a typical 20-minute story, but then you have to think about where the camera is, how you interact with the camera. Um, do you have a buddy system? Are you talking to the camera? Or are you actually just wanting to film this complete environment? Mm -hmm. So a lot of that side of things is where like film filmmakers are trying to think, right, how do we incorporate that? Or how would I make a 360 film, if we look at it in that respect. I don't know if any of you have heard that. No, that's exactly it. There's a very big difference between making a film and making a 360 <coughs> video film in terms of the considerations you have to actually put into place and the ways you actually have to adjust the environment to account for that. We've been thinking about that a lot in the office recently with one project, and it's very difficult to think about how the person viewing it can look around wherever the heck they want and still have that story play out. Also, you have to think about things like spatialized audio and the audio coming from the appropriate direction. Um, so it's a very different medium to actual filmmaking as well, which kind of makes it interesting. Maybe just to add to that, I don't know where it ends, um, but one of the things we did, and we're working on a, uh, a animated TV, actually, we're not making the animated TV series, Another company is um, uh, 
that will actually, uh, so it, it, uh, uh, brand animated TV series, uh, but our technology lets you recognize without watermarks or anything else. Um, so it could be any content, uh, 60 frames a second, and then augment that. So effectively your phone or tablet is a second screen. Um, and whatever information that provides. So one of the things we did just as a very easy tech demo was, you know, I'm watching a, effectively a wallpaper of fish swimming on the TV screen. But as soon as you put up your phone, they're now in 3D. So those fish are swimming out towards you. So very natural augmentation of a moving image. Whether we then use that uh, to collect telemetry, alternate, you know, uh, alter narrative, provide game. In our case, we're going to create gameplay that supports that uh, a TV series. Uh, so as you go through it, you know, more of the environment is unlocked and character, excuse me, characters. Uh, it's very emotional when I say characters. Uh, <coughs> it's water down there if you need Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so I think that, that feels to us like a very natural next step of those two worlds coming together, or rather providing people the platform to do it. What is the right execution? Well, we think we have an idea and we'll try, um, but I don't know. Uh, but it, but you definitely there's the technically now it's, it's easy without uh, interfering with the content you'll produce to recognize and augment it in real time, and then what you do with that augmentation is clearly up to you. We have actually run out of time. No um, But that was a really fantastic. Can I can I add one one go, last point? Go go I go. I saw a tweet go, earlier go, from go. Um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and it was amazing, and it was just timely for yeah. today's event, where he said, uh, "Sometimes I wonder uh, whether virtual reality has gotten so good that we've lost all urge to invent the actual reality that it imitates." So no matter how good we get it, you still got to keep making cool shit, everyone. <laughs> I think that's what he's saying. <laughs> Round of applause for my amazing panel. Thank you so much. Are you guys hanging around afterwards? Because I know there was quite a few hands that went up. So please grab these guys afterwards. And thank you again to PlayFusion for sponsoring this event. And of course, go to BAFTA.org for all the events that are coming up. And thank you again for joining us. Have a lovely afternoon, guys. Thank you.